Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Malpathanchel. Connecticut received more than $2 billion under the American Rescue Plan Act. The General Assembly approved some of the federal stimulus money to help local agriculture and child nutrition. Today, where we live, we learn about the two-year $500,000 farm-to-school grant program, which could help schools offer local fresh food to students. Later, we talk with the co-founder of Micro to Life, a local business that grows nutrient-dense and culturally relevant crops for local schools. You can join us as well, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. First joining us now are two members of Connecticut's Farm to School Collaborative. On Zoom with us, Don Craco. Northeast Program Director for Food Corps. Don, welcome to the show. Hi, Lucy. Thanks so much for having me here today. And also with us is Joey Listro, Founder and Executive Director of New Britain Roots, and he's a member of the New Britain Board of Education. Joey, welcome. Hi, Lucy. Thanks so much for having me this morning. Uh, Don, I mentioned the Farm to School Collaborative. Before we get there, tell us about the work that you've done with Food Corps in Connecticut schools. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Food Corps is a nonprofit that operates in states across the country, and our mission is really to connect kids to healthy food in schools. Through um, our partnership with AmeriCorps and here in Connecticut, the Connecticut Commission on Community Service, we place emerging leaders in schools to conduct hands-on food education in classrooms, school gardens, and school cafeterias. Uh, We really have a vision um, as an organization um, for a country where regardless of race, class, or clay, race, class, place, or class, students experience food education and nourishing meals in schools. So this looks like everything from teaching a kindergarten class how a seed sprouts from their own bean, learning what it needs to survive and track its growth over time to trying new foods through a taste test in the cafeteria where they can say whether they loved it, liked it, or um, just take pride in the fact that they tried it. Our members also tend to school gardens, lead family engagement nights like cooking classes and start compost systems and really contribute to making the cafeteria a warm and welcoming place. Um, And in Connecticut, we have 20 uh, Food Corps AmeriCorps service members that serve about 35 schools throughout 10 districts and communities um, and throughout the country, uh, about 200 members. I was curious, Don, that was my next question is, you know, when we think about this work, is it statewide? But it sounds like there's pockets where this work is being done. Yeah, there's there's absolutely pockets. Um, A lot of it is, um, and that's just our organization. I know I have the pleasure of being um, on the line here today with a lot of other organizations that bring a lot to this farm to school um, work. And as one organization, there's only so many uh, resources to go around and so many 
Food Corps AmeriCorps service members. Um, and that's actually where the Connecticut Farm to School Collaborative comes in. So we know through our work and the research we've done on our intervention that students who receive that hands-on learning in the classroom actually consume three to four times the number of fruits and vegetables in uh, the cafeteria. And we have school partners that have really embraced what it looks like to um, create um, a school community that embraces food, um, food cultures, sources locally, um, sees the power of food when it comes to um, academics, social emotional learning, um, behavior, and um, are really kind of proof points for what it can look like. Um, so the collaborative is really a place where we could come together with other organizations and dream up how does this become sustainable? Um, what other resources uh, can we bring together? What um, policies can we put in place to make sure this is an experience that all students in Connecticut have? Uh, Joey, I mentioned you're also a member of the Farm to School Collaborative and a member of the, the New Britain Board of Ed. And so traditionally, when we think about uh, food in schools, where does it come from and, and how is uh, New Britain uh, changing that uh, within its community? Yeah, we are working um, really hard on our wellness committee to talk about school meals. Um, one thing we did over the past year is survey parents as well as students throughout the New Britain community about uh, what it is they like about school meals, what are they eating, what are they not eating, um, so we could provide um, better options for them. Um, we have a growing Muslim population here in New Britain, and one thing we heard from the community was um, it would be great if there could be a halal menu. So um, as of September of this year, we are now introducing halal food um, to serve students who choose um, to eat that for meals. So that's one of the um, the what Don mentioned about cultural uh, um, foods in the schools, that's one way we're addressing that. We're also, um, we have a very large Puerto Rican population and we're serving more Hispanic food, um, but it's been a very challenging process, especially through um, the pandemic because options are limited. And um, as we've been hearing um, throughout the state and across the country, there's a lot of challenges with the food supply chain. Um, so we are working really hard to make sure we can get um, a lot of options out to our students, fresh food, but um, it is a challenging challenging process, especially here in New Britain, where we have uh, one large central kitchen to feed 10,000 students per day. Um, and they're also receiving three meals a day. We serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner here. Uh, Don, so when we think about where the food traditionally is coming from, uh, where they don't have the kind of partnerships that New Britain has with, uh, with Joey's organization and thinking about local food producers. And so can you talk through what you traditionally see in a school cafeteria and how this grant may help uh, change that, looking at infrastructure and, and, and other factors? Yeah, absolutely. So the um, grants program that we're talking about today is called the Connecticut Grown for Connecticut Kids grant program. It's um, titled after a, a campaign that has been led for years by the Connecticut Department of Agriculture and the Connecticut Department of Education to really celebrate um, for at least one week in October and um, uh, throughout the month, really uh, farm to school programming and the local farms and growers that really do um, source to schools. And um, this the start of this program or the idea really generated from conversations within the Connecticut Farm to School Collaborative that's 
represented a lot of folks that are on the line here today, state agencies, nonprofits, individuals, nonprofits that um, identified a lack of resources um, for this work, the meal reimbursements that schools receive for the federal um, nutrition programs and school meals um, don't always allow for them to serve the types of foods that they want to and really um, integrate more local foods. Oftentimes, um, there is a lack of equipment to prepare um, and cook or even staff training and skills and processing things like produce. Many schools are still heat and serve spaces, um, which really brings a lot of limitations. So they might have a oven, but not a stove or equipment to help um, process and cook fresh vegetables like a steamer. Uh, this grant program was um, dreamt up by the collaborative as a way for school districts, nonprofits, early childhood centers to really tap into um, the funds to support their very specific community needs, knowing that we're all kind of entering farm to school in different spaces. You might have a school garden, um, but want to get teachers feeling more comfortable using it, and that could be an avenue. You might also need a very important piece of equipment that can also be, um, this can be a grants program that you can tap into um, to resource those specific needs. Um, so there's a lot that we built it um, in partnership with everyone with the collaborative and the Department of Agriculture and Education to really um, be accessible um, and meet um, applicants' um, needs um, that are really based on what the community, their specific school community says that um, they want to see as far as their farm to school um, investments. Don, when you look at how other states have approached farm to school efforts, how does Connecticut compare? <laughs> My favorite question. <laughs> we, um, I like to say that we're um, we have a lot of um, local organizations and um, schools that are really passionate about this and see the potential of integrating farm to school at um, a state level. As far as resources go, we're kind of babies at this. Um, so the idea of a grants program is really modeled off of following in the footsteps of a lot of other states that have started that way. Like at the very least, we should be starting to um, put our money where our mouth is and provide an opportunity um, for schools to be able to tap into this and really see the innovation that can come from that. And I know the Department of Agriculture wants to kind of create a community of practice around this. Like how do we learn from one another to figure out what other resources, technical assistance, um, support structures or policy could be possible. So um, this is, this is a, mostly very exciting because um, it's one of um, the first pieces of legislation in Connecticut around farm to school. Um, and certainly the first um, influx of funding that's accessible to schools um, and early childhood centers specifically, but we do have aspirations to do more um, after we're able to prove this is a wild success. You're hearing Don Krako here on Where We Live. She's the Northeast Program Director for Food Corps. Also with us, Joey Listro, who is founder and executive director of New Britain Roots and part of the New Britain Board of Education. So, Joey, talk about your work with New Britain Roots and how you and your, your organization and others are thinking about uh, you know, food within schools and you know, your approach to this grant program. Uh, Don mentioned infrastructure, but there's other avenues that, that schools could use this money for. Uh, can you talk about that? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, so New Britain Roots at the core of our mission, it's to build community through good food. And we've been doing that over the past six years. Um, we started with the mission of having a garden for every school in the district by 2020. 
um, a goal that we reached a little bit early. And um, there's 12 schools in New Britain. Each one of them has a garden, and then there's four with the greenhouse. Um, along with helping the schools build gardens and construct greenhouses, we also want to equip the staff at the schools to learn a little bit about how to incorporate some garden education and various programs um, into their own curriculum. Uh, so we do offer professional development for staff um, at the schools. We particularly like to reach teachers who are within our STEAM program, um, teachers who are teaching culinary um, arts as well as after-school programs. Um, we do offer um, after-school programs along with the Parks and Rec uh, and YWCA here in New Britain. Um, and we serve about 2,000 students a year through after-school and summer programs. And the, what the activities uh, our students are doing in the programs are everything from planting the seeds for their garden uh, starting in February uh, to learning how um, food grows, you know, where their food comes from. Uh, we have a lot of uh, culinary teachers that are harvesting the food from the gardens and using it in their programs. Now, um, our gardens do produce about 2,000 pounds of food per year, um, which is a drop in the bucket. So if we were going to provide that all for the school meals, um, it wouldn't get very far. Uh, again, we're feeding 10,000 students per day here in New Britain. So what we like to do is make sure that the food that is being grown and harvested is used um, within our after-school programs, our summer programs. Uh, we also give a lot of food to our local food pantries. And one thing I'm particularly proud of is uh, our high school program, which is called City Growers, where we have about 12 to 15 high school students that do the maintenance in the gardens when school is not in session. We find that one of our biggest challenges uh, for schools to grow gardens um, here in Connecticut is who's there to maintain them when school is not in session. So during summer break um, or spring vacation. Um, that issue is resolved through our city growers program where the students are doing all the maintenance upkeep um, when we don't have classes that are utilized in the garden. So that way when students get back to school in September, they have a beautiful space that they could work and learn. Um, and one other thing I'll mention too, which goes along with farm to school and the work we're doing is we run a mobile farmer's market in the city, which um, addresses our food access concerns. We believe food is a human right, and we want to make sure that healthy food options are available for um, everyone here in New Britain. So our mobile market will go to different sites, including many schools, to set up a farm stand, which features locally grown produce, where parents who are picking up their children at the end of the day can shop with us, um, and we can get some better food out into the community that way as well. So, Don, we've heard that this grant could be used for infrastructure, for experiential learning and farm to school planning. But also, can you talk about how schools may apply for this, thinking about how they're how to change up their purchasing program so that they're connected to local food producers? Yes, uh, absolutely. So there are um, four uh, tracks uh, within the grants program, one for infrastructure, one for experiential learning opportunities one for farm to school planning, as you mentioned, and um, the last one is the pilot Connecticut grown purchasing programs. So this, um, as I mentioned before, uh, there um, isn't enough federal reimbursement um, per meal that goes to child nutrition programs to be able to do all they want to do um, to um, serve nutritious, um, high quality meals to their students. Sometimes they have to get really creative with that, like 350 to, to $4 that's supposed to um, really support 
uh, labor, um, food costs, um, any additional administrative costs, there's a whole lot that goes into that very small amount. Um, and it can be sometimes risky um, to start a partnership um, outside of um, your regular um, distribution um, and sourcing channels. So what this allows for is additional funding um, to do just that, to go out, um, create a relationship with a grower or a farmer, um, better get to know their needs. Uh, they're, you know, in, in some ways, like speak different languages, um, farmers and uh, school food service directors who are really administering federal nutrition programs and everything that comes with that. So we have a lot of hopes that not only will this resource um, their financial needs to um, but it will also start a relationship. And if you can meet people like where their goals are and meet meet their needs, it can be a really the start of a really beautiful um, relationships that's um, that's long term and really something that can grow. It might start as just like sourcing some um, butternut squash for a taste test, but then um, turn into what we would call forward contracting, where the farmer um, and the farmer actually growing um, that food for that school or that school district for the future. Um, so we're really excited about that and hope um, that school districts um, really take advantage and growers and farmers see the opportunity in that as well for, for their own goals. Now, for people that are interested in this grant, uh, they can submit uh, to the State Department of Agriculture uh, through December 20th. And again, Dawn, this is a recovery money and this is a two-year grant program. So I guess the question is how to sustain these efforts uh, once uh, um, some schools get involved. Yeah, the big question. Well, I think the best thing we can do is, um, well, you're helping with it here today, get the word out about the program. We um, know that the Connecticut Department of Agriculture is, is actually hosting a webinar, a, a Q&A session um, tomorrow morning at, at 10 o'clock. You could find information on their website, um, which I'm sure we can post. Um, and uh, there's a lot of interest already. There were close to, last I checked, well, close to 100 participants that are already registered to learn more about this. And I think um, we really want to see a lot of applicants um, want to track the progress, evaluate the progress of the grants program, be able to come back and ask for um, state funding or other funding to, to support um, the growth of this program in the future. And Joey, before we go, you know, we were talking about all these opportunities uh, within schools. I'm just wondering, you know, from your experience in New Britain, you know, how do families and parents react to these efforts and that you're also centering these conversations when we think about um, access to food, making sure that, that people of color are not left out of these conversations? Yeah, that's one of the things I was really pleased with with the grant. Um, we are prioritizing allied school districts, which um, uh, we, we, those are our lower income districts, which um, we really need to work with to improve um, what's happening with our school meals. Um, the feedback I get from families I work with in any of our programs, um, or also on the Board of Education, is, is great. They want the exposure, they want their children to um, explore as many food options as they possibly can. Um, one thing we do with our little kids, our kindergarten through third graders, is food literacy. So we're identifying um, a lot of different fruits and vegetables. Uh, what, what do they look like? How do they look when they're growing? Um, I want kids to come, up, come out of our program knowing that potatoes grow in the ground and not on trees. Um, I want them to 
taste everything that they're growing. Um, you know, for a lot of our gardens, we grow kale or collard greens. Um, it's just an easy vegetable to grow, um, but one that a lot of our children haven't tried before. Um, and echoing um, what Don is saying, as well as um, what others on this call, I'm sure, are seeing is when a child grows a vegetable from seed, they may not eat that if it was served to them for dinner, but if they're growing it and they're going to taste it in their garden, they're um, 100% going to take ownership and um, try that vegetable and also get their friends to try it. Um, it's a critical thing that Food Board teaches, and um, the more we can expose the children to um, various foods, um, the more varied their diet will be in the future and they'll have um, better health outcomes. And one of my favorite stories is I had a parent come up to me um, and they were shopping with their son who was in one of our programs. And rather than reaching for like fruit, lo fruit roll-ups or gushers at the grocery store, um, they recognized kale in the produce section and um, the mother purchased it to cook at home. So um, the recognition and um, the the everything they're learning from what they're growing in the gardens um, is really creating uh, long-term positive health outcomes for the students. And um, I think the families really appreciate um, appreciate that. Well, that's a great story to share with us. Joey Listro, founder and executive director of New Britain Roots, also a member of the New Britain Board of Education. He chairs the Wellness Committee. Joey, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Also, Don Krako is here, who's the Northeast Program Director for Food Corps. Don, thank you. Thank you, Lucy. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. Uh, as we've heard, some Connecticut schools already have an agricultural focus. How could this Farm to School grant strengthen their programming? We hear from two high schools after the break. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to, to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're talking about a farm-to-school grant program to help local communities address food security and nutrition. Joining us now is Monica Machero-Filpu, Executive Director at Common Ground High School in New Haven. Monica, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. 
And also with us is Erica Baylor. She's with Rockville High School's Agricultural Science and Technology Department, or Education, where she's the department head that's in Vernon. Erica, welcome. Good morning, Lucy. So, Monica, I'll start with you. You're executive director at Common Ground High School in New Haven, also a member of the Farm to School Collaborative. So talk uh, to our listeners who may not know a lot about Common Ground, you know, how local farms are informing students' experience and, and how that gets uh, brought into the curriculum. Sure. So Common Ground is um, a local nonprofit in New Haven that operates the Common Ground High School um, Urban Education Center and our farm. So we're lucky in that we have a wonderful urban farm on our campus. Um, and our focus at Common Ground is on youth leadership, youth empowerment, and like food, food justice and social justice. And our farm and our food access programming really um, like creates a beautiful medium through which to study these issues of social justice. And so the farm and um, where our students, so our students um, at the high school start their night food experience, learning about our campus here, like grounding themselves in the context of their local environment, which is our, our farm, West Rock Park, um, and really learning about the food that they eat and where it comes from. And then they move on to other curricular connections within the broader community. So that's how we um, work with the high school. Um, we also, you know, both our environmental education center and our farm do a lot of work with New Haven public schools, trying to really expand what we've had the opportunity to do here at Common Ground with our high school students, broader into the community, um, giving, you know, opportunities for um, learning about food access and where their food is grown to students across New Haven. So I'd asked our previous guests when we think about uh, traditional school food. And so what does that look like at uh, your high school? Oh, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing to behold. Um, it is a little different in COVID, unfortunately, because we do have some um, single use, um, you know, needs. But norm at Common Ground, we make sure that every meal includes at least an, one item from our farm or from other local farms. Um, and we are able to provide, um, you know, both vegetarian and meat options as well as halal options because we serve a large um, portion of refugees and folks who have halal dietary rules. And, um, you know, it's, yes, last week we, I know I had um, fried green tomatoes from our garden because it's that season as part of my meal. Um, and one of the things that we found that we that we do here that we're really fortunate to have a food justice educator on our staff. And what we've done is, you know, she works half her time on the farm, actually like bringing students onto the farm and having them learn about growing their own food. But then half of our, her time is focused in the high school, making curriculum connections with teachers and the classes. And we found that like the, the taste testing opportunities and the teaching students recipes, the really fun things like cooking club and other ways, get kids to um, to try some of the more, like some of the new foods like Joey was talking about earlier, the fried green tomatoes, the kale salad. Um, we, we have some of the foods that, you know, that they're used to seeing hamburgers, chicken, you know, chicken tenders or chicken in all its forms. We also get kids to try the more homemade versions of those foods with more locally sourced ingredients through the work of our um, our food justice coordinator who, who does that connection. 
So it sounds like at Common Ground, uh, students have access to some of this local farm fresh food. And so when you think about this farm to school grant, you know, will Common Ground apply for it? And, you know, what avenue or what bucket would you like to, to try to get that grant for? Maybe updating infrastructure? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we're definitely looking at that grant and seeing that opportunity and trying to figure out the best way to apply for it. I think that we're more likely, from what I hear from my team, to apply for it to the work that what we call our ripple effect work of going into schools in New Haven and doing this work and grow, helping them build their own school gardens and things like that. It seems like the um, the experiential learning bucket of the grant was most aligned to our work. Although we definitely have, I was really excited to hear Dawn talking about um, some of the, the procurement options. We have a simple path through our own farm of, you know, of procuring local food, but it is still really challenging to, frankly, you know, raise the money, we raise the money through philanthropy to keep our farm operating so that our farm can provide that food. Um, so we'll, we'll look at that option as well, but I think we're positioned probably to use this to expand access to those things um, across New Haven. And Erica, I mentioned you're with uh, Rockville High School in Vernon, so there's an agricultural education focus there as well. So tell us, tell us more about your high school and then the farm-to-school plans you may have in the works. So we're a comprehensive high school, but we have a uh, regional agricultural science program, and there are 20 of them in the state. So students have the opportunity to apply to attend a program, and um, here in Vernon, we offer um, courses in agricultural mechanics, plant science, animal science, aquaculture, natural resources. And we do have lots of opportunities for them to um, grow food and um, learn all about that. Um, specifically, we have an aquaponics system that we've been um, working with just in the past year. And we've been growing some things there, some kale, broccoli, lettuce, cucumbers, things like that. Um, and we did also this past year just create a garden. It's a little less than a quarter acre, so um, not huge, but again, giving um, the kids, you know, that experience to really see and grow their produce. Um, one thing that um, Joey had mentioned earlier um, was about a drop in the bucket, right? So um, when our uh, director of Food and Nutrition Services, she's just reached out to me recently to start this conversation about what we're able to produce that they could use here um, in the actual school cafeterias. Know, we can only supply so much. Um, you know, the challenge of not having students here um, during the summer months when a lot of that is happening um, is really going to limit us what we're able to do. But definitely as far as, you know, experience for the students, we offer a lot of opportunities for them really to um, have great experiences with agriculture here. You mentioned aquaponics. Talk through, uh, you know, why you started that. Um, we think about, you know, the traditional growing season and how it can be extended, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yep. In a greenhouse, um, we started a system in there. So we have koi fish in the tank um, and their fertilizer um, provides the nutrients that the plants need. Um, so we've done um, some cucumbers in there, some lettuce, some kale. And that's something that, yeah, we're able to do year round. So far, we have just sold the produce to staff members, but it's been, you know, really well received. We do the same with um, the eggs from our chickens, but definitely just on a small scale. Um, so, you know, when we're talking about giving the kids different experiences for our students, we don't want to do anything on such a big scale that it becomes um, like real chores for them. We want them to really 
experience all different types of growing. So even within our aquaponic system, we have different types um, of systems. We have three different systems like incorporated into it. Um, again, just for them to see what, you know, what's possible so that they can have um, those ex experiences to apply to their future. And what about infrastructure? It was interesting to uh, hear Don uh, talk earlier about, um, you know, schools not having stoves per se, but boilers uh, to heat up food. And when you think about farm fresh food, being able uh, to keep it chilled and so it doesn't spoil. I'm just wondering if you can talk through um, how you're thinking about that at Rockville High School. Mm, yeah, that's a that's a good question. That's a challenge. Um, we don't have definitely don't have a lot of storage here. Um, so if we were to produce crops um, that would need to be stored um, long term, I'm not I'm not sure how that would work. Um, there are a lot of the agricultural programs that have a full um, food science um, part of their program. That's not something we here offer in Vernon, but I'm sure they have um, more ability for storage as far as coolers and things like that. Um, we just have um, a small cooler that we put things in temporarily, but we're moving our products, um, you know, right away to the teachers and the staff here. So that that hasn't been an issue. But if we're talking about, um, you know, trying to produce potatoes and carrots and things that can store um, long term, we would definitely need, yeah, need some places to do that. And Monica, what about you at Common Ground? How do you think about uh, infrastructure uh, needs? Yeah, um, so I think we were able to build a commercial kitchen um, a few years ago. Um, and definitely, I think, so we have like the big freezer where we're able to hold the, um, the processed food from our farm. So we have more, um, I mean, I think we have more of a labor issue, right? Like how making sure that we can pay for labor over the summer, for example, when our kitchen staff isn't working to process all the crops so that they can be used in the kitchen. Um, and then I think, frankly, like grants like these, these are amazing. The Comic Grant's been doing this work for well over 20 years. And they've gotten pretty creative. Um, so actually, when I say we're, you know, we're doing great on infrastructure, some of that's just the creativity of our folks, like, you know, making cold boxes out of things, et cetera. So I definitely know that for our farm team in particular, like having, um, you know, freezers and things like that has not been possible and, and probably because the funding hasn't been available. So I think this is a really big opportunity to try to sort of change the way we prioritize um, who and how we support um, farmers and food folks producing local food for schools. You've been hearing Monica Machera Filpo, Executive Director at Common Ground High School in New Haven. Monica, thanks for telling us about your perspective from Common Ground. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And Erica Baylor was here. She's the department head in the Agricultural Science and Technology Department at Rockville High School in Vernon. Erica, thank you. Thank you. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. Coming up, we talk to a local food producer who's already connected to schools, including a program she attended as a child. You can join us as well. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up tomorrow, quitting your job often takes some time and consideration, but more and more people are saying, I quit with or without two weeks' notice. On the next Where We Live, we talk about why Americans are leaving the workplace. Are you one of them? Join the conversation tomorrow. Now, today we're learning about the Farm to School grant through the State Department of Agriculture. Part of the program could connect schools and daycare centers with local food growers like Zania Johnson. She's co-founder and operator of Micro to Life. Zania, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Thank you for having me. Uh, this almost seems like a no-brainer to connect uh, and foster relationships of local farmers with schools. So tell us how you started Micro to Life. Yes, yeah, sure. So Micro to Life, I would say, has two distinct stories that merged into one. And what I mean by that is that I also have a business partner, uh, but we both had our separate experience before the establishment of our business. But from my standpoint, um, my story starts from UConn. So I attended the University of Connecticut um, as an undergraduate student where I was pursuing a degree in biological sciences. And at the same time, my business partner was receiving a dual degree in biology and nutrition. And he um, recommended that I would take that I should take an intro to nutritional science course as he can really see the parallel between biology and health, which was one of my um, main interests. So I took that course and I really began to see the connection between health and nutrition. And um, I was just I really loved it. I was very interested in it. And that eventually led uh, for me to get a degree again, go back to UConn and get my graduate degree in um, nutritional sciences, where I was able to gain a deeper understanding in the effects of food consumption on health and behavior. But at the same time, while I was in my program and learning deeper in the effects of nutrition, I also um, looked at the agricultural side. So like, you know, learning like how to grow your own food. And at the time, I didn't really have any experience growing my own food at all. Um, I knew where my food come from. I had some idea, but I never really like dived into the un, like the importance of growing your own food and the of um, the nutrient density that's in the food that you grow. And so that essentially led for myself and my business partner, who was having his own special story with growing food. We came together and we decided that we wanted to form Micro to Life, um, more specifically because um, we both are in communities where we would deem called food. Um, insecure. And we really wanted to get nutrient dense foods out to members in our community. So we started first with microgreens and we were growing that indoors because we looked at the research and it showed that microgreens contains um, four times as much nutrients compared to the average mature vegetable. And we did that on a small scale. But at the same time, um, as we started selling our microgreens at a winter market, we ran into a local farmer uh, who grows right in Hartford, Connecticut. And he came up to us and stated, would you like more land to grow more than just microgreens? And we said, yeah, sure, why not? And we decided to join Knox Incubators Farmers Program that same year. And that's where we really started to expand beyond just growing microgreens, but also the importance of just growing all types of 
different vegetables. And we did that for about two years. And now we are currently um, in Simsbury, Connecticut, farming on half an acre, uh, where we are growing all types of different vegetables. And a lot of our produce is being distributed to Hartford Public Schools. Now, Zania, you have a relationship with Hartford, as you just mentioned. So when we think about all these other crops that you're now growing, you're making sure that they're also culturally relevant. Talk through why that's important. Yes. So it's important, at least from our standpoint, to grow culturally relevant foods. Uh, We really wanted to um, grow foods that hold a significance to a particular culture um, and specifically the cultures that are in the community of Hartford. So, um, Hartford has various different cultures. Um, you have the Caribbean culture, you have the African-American culture, you have the Asian culture. And we didn't just want to only grow crops that were just, you know, random at random, but we really wanted to grow foods that people can connect with, that they eat around their dinner table each and every night. And we wanted to show them that, hey, you can grow it here in Connecticut. And um, and through that opportunity, we have grown uh, bok choy, we've grown collard greens, we have grown Jamaican pumpkin, also known as calabaza pumpkin. And just to see the smiles in Kalalu as well, just to see the smiles on their faces when we're at markets, even in the schools too, um, seeing students who are familiar with it because they have it at the dinner table makes it worthwhile. And it's very rewarding to know that you know, someone here in the community is growing foods that are key staple items in their culture. Mm. I'd mentioned that you're also connected with a a preschool program that you once attended. What does that mean for you? Oh, yes. So um, I didn't mention, but I was a food core alum. So I am a food core alum. I served in Hartford uh, year 2018 to 2019. And I ended up getting matched at my old preschool, Noah Webster Micro Society Magnet School. It was just full circle because I didn't know that Noah Webster was a part of this, um, the food core program. And just to go back there, it just brought back flashbacks. Like I was once a student here and to come back and to teach the importance of agriculture and nutrition education to the students was really, um, it was really rewarding and it was really a blessing and I loved it. I loved um, teaching there throughout my experience and I really got to see um, students learn more about agriculture and nutrition through that opportunity. Uh, This uh, grant program is open for uh, local schools to apply, also uh, daycare providers and other childhood uh, education centers. And so I'm wondering from your perspective, when you hear about the grant program, you know, how this can help uh, you as well or places you see where the state could improve in connecting local food producers with schools. Yes. So um, as far as from the standpoint as a local producer, I can really see this program helping our business because it would allow us to get more connected with uh, different school districts that need locally grown produce that they may not have as much on their lunch menu currently. Um, Of course, we've built a strong partnership with Hartford Public Schools, which we are definitely going to keep at it and giving them locally grown produce. But it will also be nice to like have um, different districts um, have some of our culturally relevant foods and our produce on their lunch line, as well as even like preschools, right? And like having them have that opportunity to start from an early age on supplying their students with produce that are nutrient dense, that will indeed um, have a positive impact on the function within their bodies. Uh, So, yeah. So are you um, hoping to expand outside Hartford? Tell us more about this. 
Yes. So um, we are hoping to expand outside of Hartford. Uh, We hope to be able to provide uh, different districts with locally grown produce. But also something that I didn't mention is that our business has a strong educational piece. So we focus highly on agricultural education, but also nutrition education with both of us having backgrounds in nutritional sciences. So we really want students to have that connection with learning where their food come from, what their growers look like, because that was an issue that I saw when I was a food corps um, service member that a lot of students didn't know what their local growers look like or even know that there were people growing right in their community. So addressing that situation and bringing it to the schools, but also connecting students as the why it is important to eat healthy. I feel like A lot of students know, okay, I should eat my fruits, I should eat my vegetables, but what is the why behind it? And so that's what we are doing as a business is to really bring out that why. Why should you eat an apple? Because it has this effect on your digestive system and really helping them connect that through different forms of learning, through visual, auditory, tactile, um, verbal. So we're really trying to do it in a way which is fun for students meeting it at their level so they can really understand. You mentioned earlier the importance of um, food that's recognizable, that's culturally relevant. What about some uh, produce that children may not have tried before or have experienced? Like, how do you work that into you know the programming that you're doing, if at all? Yes. Oh, that's a good question that you brought up. As of recently, this summer we were in a summer program, and um, we introduced kale to certain. Um, students. Uh, Some knew what kale were, others didn't. And so what we do to allow students to get more acquainted to something they're unfamiliar with is um, we would bring up, like we mentioned kale, what it is, um, and we'll show visuals and pictures, how it grows, um, that it comes in different colors, shapes, sizes. But also we try to um, apply that vegetable in a way where it can be in a recipe that students would probably least likely would have place the kale with. For example, um, I this summer we created what's called a mighty green ice cream. So we used red Russian kale, which is one of the kales that we currently grow in our field. And we paralleled it with something that kids love to eat, ice cream. Um, but we made it in a way that was healthy. You know, we added different fruits. Uh, we showed them the process. And in the end, I had students who were neglect, who were um, hesitant in trying it in the beginning. But then in the end, they were like, Miss J, I want more. I want more. And I remember overhearing a middle school student who was in sports, which during the middle school class, um, we really I really tried to highlight um, like sports, like people who are in sports, because I try to meet them at their levels. And I overheard him say to a friend like, yeah, I'm going to eat my kale so I can beat you in football or, you know, so I can be the best athlete I can be. And that's the point of everything that we're doing is really to meet students where they are, where they are and teach them in a way that it's cool to eat your vegetables. There's nothing wrong with it, but I can show you a way that you might have least thought you can eat a kale, but now you can, you can make it in this recipe and you know, it's, it's really tasty. It's really, it's really good for you. And uh, you would really enjoy it. And with the hopes that they will definitely try it again. I love that story. So that really uh, hones in on what you're doing, looking at basic nutrition and, and helping children understand that certain food will make them stronger. Oh, yes. 
Uh, when we think about um, some of the other schools that we heard from that have an agricultural focus and um, how they can use the Farm to School grant program uh, to help them uh, maybe more specific to STEM careers, but again, with the work that you're doing, just helping children understand where their food comes from can help them with some of the decisions that they make and also opportunities to learn how to grow the food. That's correct. And also, um, one thing I didn't mention that um, I mentioned, I think a group mentioned about ag aquaculture, I mean, aquaponics. And so as a business, we're also dived into hydroponics. So um, we did a lot of um, lessons where we um, compare traditional farming to hydroponics. And um, a lot of students at that time didn't know what hydroponics was. And just to show them that there's an alternative way that you can grow your own food. And we set up um, hydroponics system at a middle school and um, with um and the kids loved it. They learned about it. And I really saw that they were starting to take pride in the growing process of um, utilizing the hydroponic system. And in the end, we ended up um, making with the same vegetables that was grown in that system. We made a, um, a smoothie with it and the students like gave it a five star and they loved it. And they did come back and tell me that they would try it again. <laughs> Well, that's a that's a good uh, story to have, uh, Zania. You know, I mean, we talked a little bit about your childhood and the school that you got connected with, that you went to preschool. Any other uh, stories from your childhood that made you really think more about where food comes from that has like really uh, informed the work you're doing today? Yes. So, um, hmm. so I love food and I've grown up in a family that, um, so I am half Caribbean. So my mom is Jamaican and I've grown up in a family where food is like a key staple food item. But what was interesting to me as I reflect back, I always thought Kala Lu came from like a can, which is a vegetable that is a key staple item in the Caribbean culture. But when I started to grow it, what was interesting is um, I didn't know what it looked like. And one of the farmers from our, our program, uh, I thought it was a weed. So I was just throwing it out. And he was like, no, this is what Kalalu looks like. So um, just paralleling back to think about in my childhood, like, you know, looking at Kalalu, thinking it comes from a can, but then really understanding it now from like my adult perspective, like, no, this is what Kalalu really looks like. And it's not a weed, but it's actually food that people do, um, you know, have in their they put it, um, the food that people use in their, um, their, their, um, um, yeah, it's just food that people use. So. Well, Zania Johnson, it's a pleasure to learn about the very important work you're doing, co-founder and operator of Micro to Life. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Lucy. Today's show is produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. You can listen to Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.